0: This week on the Eldritch Lorecast, we're getting a little bit pretentious and extolling our love for D&D and tabletop role-playing games and the sorts of stories we love to tell using them. All that and more coming up right now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Eldritch Lorecast, your favorite tabletop RPG podcast. My name is Ben Byrne, and with a panel like this, why wouldn't it be your favorite tabletop role-playing game podcast? I'm here with James Hake, Sean Merwin, Dale Kingsmill, Dale. Where was the first place you were introduced to tabletop role-playing games of D&D? Were you, was it in a game store? Were you with friends at a house?
1: I believe it was uh, downstairs in my house uh, with my brother. My brother introduced me to RPGs in a room that we call the casino because it has down lights and a bar. Um.
0: Okay, yeah, that's that's fair. Uh, learn to play D&D in a casino. That's what you can tell people from now that's on. That's
1: what I can tell people. <laughs>
0: yeah, great. Uh, James Hate, what about you? First place you were introduced to the wonderful world of role-playing games.
2: My living room with a game that someone who'd played d and a couple of times had made up uh, with the soundtrack to Super Smash Bros. Brawl playing in the
0: background. <laughs> this, uh, I- I'm curious to know, was that third edition? Was that your introduction into the game?
2: Yeah, my timeline's a little bit funky because uh, I met my first indie group in high school they all owned 3.5 books it was around the time fourth edition began but uh for for years and years we played 3.5
0: Yeah, right. Fair enough.
2: Fair enough. Which is so funny to say because I love 4th Edition D&D, right? We weren't playing out of this weird sort of like, oh, it's not real. (laughs) It's it's the only game we own because we were broken in high school.
0: (laughs) 4th Edition does have this weird... Like, I I came in at 5th, so 4th Edition has this weird uh, reputation for me. I was aware of when 4th launched, though, just being on the internet and hearing about all the disgruntledness. Sean Merwin, where was the first place you learned to play role-playing games?
3: Back in the 18th century, well, no, not quite that far, uh, it was surprisingly close to, to where Dale learned it. it was the cellar of a friend where there was a bar and a pool table and uh, playing first edition AD&D uh, as a very, very wee lad.
0: I like that between both you and Dale, the stereotype of D&D happening in the basement is kind of holding up. That's true. A little bit of a confession this week. We are recording this in the past, (gasps) and you are listening to this in our future. Um, Mm -hmm. So we don't have any news this week because we don't know what is going. We can't see into the future. We can only exist here. In this, speak
1: for yourself. Yeah, (laughs) I know what's coming, and it's very exciting. All right, Dale.
0: The top. (laughs) The top news story for this week. Go. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it has to be when the squid ate the moon. Right uh, out of the sky.
0: Yeah, that what a terrible day that was. The way the, the it was no fun going to the beach anymore. Yeah. There were no waves. The day the squid came. The day the, the squid, squid games
2: came. have gotten out of hand.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh so I guess the only news apart from squid moon death uh is the fact that this is the fifth episode of the Eldritch Lorecast. Uh-huh. Uh and in this episode we thought we would just you know, now that we're, we've been here a while, get to know each other a little bit better by each other, I don't just mean the host, but I mean you and us, audience, you and us, dear listener, uh, get, grab a chair, snuggle in, get close, because uh, we are going to be delving back into the origins uh, of tabletop role-playing games, not in general, more our experiences with tabletop role-playing games, um, uh, and uh, talking about why, why play tabletop role-playing games, why we personally play them, why you should play them if you don't, if should we be so uh so fortunate, so um, uh, privileged for this uh, for our humble podcast to be your first introduction into role playing games? This is why we play them. Uh, Sean Merwin back in that basement, uh, which is mm. not the word you used. My my word, basement. What 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 did you call it? A cellar. Summit, that, maybe? There you go. Yeah. See there, it's it's an Australian American thing. I don't think we have cellars here unless it's to hold wine. Um uh, what 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 brought you there, but I guess more uh more importantly, what keeps you there? Why do you play tabletop role-playing games?
3: What brought me there was the cool kids uh my brother or my my best friend's brother was older and his friends were down in the basement playing this game, but we weren't allowed to go down there because we were four years younger and we weren't cool. But they were having a blast, it seemed. But then it turned out that a couple of their players that they were expecting didn't show up. So they needed warm bodies to <laughs> play these characters. So we were dragged down there. And just... The, the game itself was obviously brilliant and and captured the imagination. But being there with these older kids and being able to be cool like them was, was part of the draw. But th- that lost its luster quickly, being with these bullies. Uh, but the uh, the game really captured my imagination. And I, I had always loved games, and I had always loved stories, but there was no media back then that really combined the two well. Sure, Our video games were pixels mm-hmm. on a screen that bounced back and forth, or maybe Space Invaders shooting up. But that was it. That was our video game uh, selection at the time. So we didn't have a way to play a game that would also tell a story the way that this game with dice and character sheets did. And it hit both my loves directly in the bullseye. And so I I just couldn't wait. And of course, we weren't invited back because (laughs) the two players that were missing had come back. But they had just graduated from basic D&D into advanced Dungeons & Dragons. So they were tossing out their basic games. And I latched onto one and took it home and read it and tried to teach myself how to play this strange game, which is very hard to do when you're 10 years old and don't have a big vocabulary mm. and don't understand all these strange things. But it still was amazing. And so over time, I found more people to play with, people who did understand the game better, had been taught the game well, and just couldn't get enough of it from that point forward and knew at that point that this is what I want to do with my life.
0: Was this similar for you, James, when you first entered? Were you a similar age? I was
2: a freshman in high school, so I was, what, like 14 years old. Um. And I, I feel like the circumstances of my introduction were, were wildly different because uh, video games in particular had evolved so much, right? Mm-hmm. I, I was always a book nerd. I was always a fantasy nerd. Um, love The Hobbit, love Harry Potter, um, Love Star Wars. Uh, but, but by that time, there had been a lot of video games that I think had quite deftly Uh, interwoven narrative and gameplay Um, and and yet I I wasn't playing a lot of Final Fantasy or anything like that I wasn't playing actual or Baldur's Gate even I wasn't playing any sort of uh, role-playing game RPGs I was playing things like The Legend of Zelda and um, RuneScape and things like that that had this sort of fantasy flavor to them but didn't actually Uh, They had kind of a veneer of storytelling, but they never kind of punched into the meat of it. And so when I found you, I was like, uh, I had a similar experience still to you, Sean, where it's like, oh, I've loved this so much, but I actually get to go as deep as I really, really want to now. Mm. Um, It's like everything before has just been surface level. Now now I can actually do this.
0: Yeah, for sure. I find, like, I didn't come into role-playing games specifically until I was already a man um as bane would say um, <laughs> but uh, uh you know video games and tabletop war <laughs> games were were my introduction into that sort of storytelling space and i find that even when i'm playing a game that doesn't have a lot of story like i remember playing i think it was star wars battlefront 2 had this really cool mode, the original one, not not the more recent one, um, had this really cool mode that was called like Planetary Invasion where you would build uh, a fleet and you'd fly it to different planets and then you'd choose whether you were rebels or imperial or republic or droid army, separatists. And if their fleet was in the same space as your fleet, then you'd have a space battle and then you'd do a ground war or you'd just do a ground war. All of this in is a
1: galactic conquest. Right, yeah, there it's you go. Galactic the voice conquest they every time. Yeah.
0: So I would find that between the rounds of combat, I was literally in my head role-playing like Yoda and Obi Wan and whoever creating this story uh, beyond what the game was delivering to me. And and so I have always been sort of, you know, I turn every game into a, a role-playing game. I turned Rocket League uh, into a role-playing game in my head where I was like, I'm the best damn Rocket League race car driver ever. And, I, and I'm just playing against the AI. I'm not even playing against other people. Uh, and then, you know, I get in a crash and I'm injured and I'm like, oh no, but it's okay. This other guy's going to drive my car for me. There's no story in Rocket League,
1: but I made one.
0: Uh, Dale, are you similar? Do you do that with, uh, do you just turn everything into a role-playing game?
1: Uh, I, I don't know whether I turn everything into a role-playing game. I, I suppose I come at it from a weird angle. So I was introduced to RPGs by my brother I mentioned. Um, but it was, it was the stories he would tell. He was playing Rogue Trader, um, the, the Warhammer, Mm. um, sort of tabletop RPG. And he would, I didn't understand any of it. I didn't understand any of it because he, he was talking about Warhammer and this game system. I had no idea what was going on, but I was like, he's a space pirate and he rolled a, a one so he fell down the ramp. Like it was it was those bits I was like, this is this is funny, there's something here, it's it's this story he was telling. So I suppose it was story first. And then cut to many, many, many years later that uh, that I was looking at sort of Pathfinder and the Iron Kingdoms and it was the homebrew that really, I think, dragged me in because I'm looking at these and I'm going, why does this dwarf get a negative two to charisma? I think that's wrong. I'm going to change it. And I got my hands on a copy of the Pathfinder core book and I it's got notes scribbled throughout it. Uh, where I'm just like, I don't like this floating modifier. I'm never going to remember it. I'll change it. And that's kind of slowly what pulled me in as I was, like, realizing that, that yeah, it's a, it's a game that has all this power to tell a story. But I also have the power to change the game mm. and change the story that it tells. Um, I think that's kind of what started dragging me in. And then... Um, a throwaway reference during a, an old, the olden days when I was on Geek and Sundry vlogs, we had a, um, a vlogger hangout when we first hit 50,000 subscribers. And someone just threw away a reference. They said, we should do a, a game of D&D sometime with all the vloggers. And I was like, Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> interesting and then it never came up again but i was the i was the one who held onto it in my heart and i was like wait i need to learn to play this game and i need to teach it to my friends because my friends will like it and then critical role started and that was a huge boon because i could just show my friends i was like look at this look how fun it is and they went okay that does sound fun um but but i think it was it was sort of a strange meandering long-term path because i ultimately only really first played a tabletop rpg in my 20s
0: yeah, I, I was basically the same. And I feel the same in terms of it being a meandering path because, I like I said, it was... W- tabletop war games were my first introduction into real kind of tabletop gaming. And even those, I was more interested in the story of the battle than the sport of defeating your opponent necessarily. Uh, and then when I got into my 20s, it was Critical Role as well. It was kind of like I had a group of friends that had played D&D and they wanted to get me into it, but it was Critical Role that kind of gave me that nudge off the cliff when I watched a few episodes and I was like this is amazing. This is like, you know, uh, you know, uh, as uh, Dale, I believe you did and James, you've said a few times you have, I went to drama school and um, learned performing arts and, and learned the art of expression through performance. And I was like, that's what this is. You know, this is just the opportunity to express oneself uh, at the table through the safety of, you know, playing a, a fictional character. I was like, why didn't I find this when I was younger? Um, Dale, am I correct in that? Did you go to performing arts? Uh, I did. School?
1: I did. I went to actually a performing arts high school, and then also studied. it. Mm-hmm. I, I have a degree in theatre. Yeah. My Does that James? James has a, a degree in theatre, don't you?
0: Mm-hmm. Does that yep. influence either of your approaches to the game?
1: Oh, I'm sure it influences everything I do every day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's it's uh,
2: it's subtle. Uh, I wouldn't say I ever go out into the world and I'm like, oh, I will use my BA in theater studies today, and they will know, they will know that I played Hamlet. <laughs> but no, no, I mean it's it's a fabric, it's part of the the tapestry of, of you know my unique existence as a human being. It's a little, it's a spice that I carry with me.
0: Um, Sean, when you because uh, you've been designing games now for quite a while. What led into that? For you? were you running games before that? Before leading into that, and I suppose you know, obviously you've you've had a professional career for a while now designing games, but like w- besides the career aspect of it, like what is it that that drives you to want to tell stories within that medium?
3: I I think our human brains are just wired to tell and hear stories. I don't care who you are, you want to express yourself in some way. And it can come in a variety of ways. It doesn't have to be artistic. It can just be you wanting to come home from work and tell someone how your day went because you want to be seen and you mm. want to be heard and you want that experience to be shared with others. Mm. And uh, and role-playing games are a medium to do that. They really are an artistic medium. And mm. they weren't treated as such uh, for, for so long until we have and had the technology to do that. And now we're seeing it everywhere, as we've discussed Critical Role many times, um, and, and people are gravitating toward this as a new medium uh, of, of artistic expression and of just entertainment. And you know, my, my whole life, like I said, when I started playing D&D and other role-playing games, I thought, this is what I want to do, but there was no way to get into the industry back then. Mm. Uh, there was basically one company you could work for, that was TSR, and there might have been five jobs. You, mm. There was no DMs Guild or one bookshelf or any other way. No license to, to use the game. So I thought, well, I'll go into teaching because teaching's fun. And I like teaching. But really what I was doing the whole time was just preparing myself for the day that I could do this. And so. it wasn't something I thought about. It was just something that happened. So I got a degree in history and I got a degree in English. And then I got a creative writing uh, master's. And with no plan to w- work on role-playing games at all until third edition came out. And then it uh, th- I thought I'd get back into playing. Uh, I now have a daughter, so she's going to want to learn to play at some point. So let's get back into third this new third edition. And through various circumstances and happenstance and luck and lots of work for very little pay, uh, I ended up doing it. And... I've enjoyed every second of it since then. All twenty plus years of it.
1: I was gonna say I love that you 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 sort of appeal to this human drive of of creativity that expresses itself in the game because I I wrote a very pretentious foreword to um, to a. Supplement that I published on the DMs Guild at some point. that was <laughs> can, about.
0: Sorry, could I just say we're talking about why we love this game? Pretension is fully invited into this conversation. Get as pretentious <laughs> I mean, as you like, because God's I'm know glad I will. It's in a invited moment. because
1: I am pretension itself. I'm happy to be invited. Um, no, I I wrote this thing basically talking about how humans were born to tell stories, and um, I related it to mythology. So, so there's this um, this kind of theory out there, I don't know whether it's true or not, but there is an anthropological theory that um, humanity kind of began with the first spark of fire, with controlled fire, because that's the point when we swapped from just being, you know, hunters, foragers, to people who told stories. Because suddenly it extended daylight hours, You you couldn't go out and do things, you couldn't hunt and you couldn't forage, but you could stay up later and you could tell stories. That's the only thing that you could do is sit around this fire and tell stories. And then you see sort of reflections of that in mythology, like Prometheus stealing the flame for humanity. And and over time you you we recreate that. We sit around a TV and receive stories from the television, this source of light, a group of people around it, and stories. That's that's the common thread. And I think that DD or tabletop RPGs really reflect that. You sit together mm. in a circle and you just tell stories to one another. And I think it's like it's it's such a pure expression of humanity in that sense. So I I don't know. I thought it was nice that you mentioned that.
0: I, I, to people who ask me what D and D is, who have no concept, they've never played it before. They've only heard about it through something like stranger things or ET. And they're like, Oh, what is this D and D thing? I keep hearing about the easiest way to explain it. I have found is like, campfire stories is sitting around and we all tell a story together um and you know share part of the narrative and there are game mechanics that kind of bind uh to use a pretentious word bind the game world um to make it feel, you know, more real. And so that we're not just making up anything and everything that there's a challenge to, to, to the story. But I think that you're absolutely right. It is a, uh, you know, that, that um, innate need to communicate through, um, you know, storytelling, whether, we're, whether we're making it up or whether you're running a D and D campaign that is set in some sort of Greek mythologically Tied world that retells the story of prometheus or atlas or you know whoever it happens to be um james do you feel the same do you how, or, or a, a, a potential alternative question how do you explain what dnd is to people who have never played it before
2: oh i agree wholeheartedly absolutely there's a sort of primevalness to uh the act of playing dnd um I think the, the way I got started writing D&D kind of speaks to the way that I feel about the game, which is uh, I left my home state of Washington and traveled to California to go to school to be an actor. Um, and I was, by this point, completely obsessed with D&D. Uh, and it didn't help that uh, I'd recently been horrifically burned out on third edition D&D by uh, uh, the player experiences. And when I uh, was just leaving for California, the D&D Next, the, the playtests in full swing, the playtest for the game that would become 5th edition, and I hung on every scrap of news and every playtest back that came out. I mean, I, I was thoroughly obsessed. Um, and by this time, uh, there was yet no critical role d and DD was still. and it's weird to think about now. Uh, it was still kind of deep in the depths of uncoolness. Um, okay. even, even Skyrim was only a couple of years old at this point. Um, and that was like the biggest game of all time. Um, and so you know going to going to an outskirt of LA, going to you know cool person, hot girl central. Uh, it was not the, the 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 fresh hunting ground for D&D players that I had perhaps hoped it would be. Um, and so for for a, a year or more, many, many months, I was like, well, wow, I've got no one to play with. I need to express myself somehow because D&D has and continues to be for me an artistic means of expression. Mm. Um, and when I had no ability to tell that story face-to-face with other people, I did what I think some of the first writers of history did, which is, well, write your stories down instead. I I can only imagine the reason why the written word came into being at all is because some guy was isolated enough from other people that they could not simply sit around their campfire. They had to find a way to make it portable and give it to other people. And the exact same thing happened with me, not to be be self-aggrandizing about it. Just like, God, I need some human connection. I hope someone will read this.
3: And that's a you know that's really a, a segue into all the other things that D and D is because it is a vehicle for storytelling, but it's also a vehicle for just human connection, and but it's also a set of rules that describes how a world works. Mm. And I know many many D and D players who could care less about storytelling. They want to figure out the mechanics of the game. They want to see how it fits together just like it was a machine and they were pulling cogs out of it uh, and putting cogs back. And you know, Dale mentioned Pathfinder uh, either this episode or a couple episodes ago where you're just like, nope, not going to do that. And that's a whole different aspect of d d that makes it so wonderful is that it's many things to many people.
1: Hmm. and.
3: You can have many different kinds of minds all sitting at the same table, getting different joys out of the same thing at the same time.
0: Well, that's what kind of blows my mind a little bit when you think of the history of D&D stretching back to its inception and and I suppose tabletop role playing games in general is the idea that it was, you know, there are trends within D&D in terms of why people play it. And that early on, it was you know you go into the dungeon, you fo- you kill the monsters, you find the treasure, you pull them out of the the dungeon, and you go into town and you sell the treasure. And it had, to my perception, uh, I'm open to being corrected on this, but it had this almost more board gamey feel to it where it was about the treasure and the monsters more so than necessarily like how my character feels about the monsters that they're killing. Do the monsters have homes? Do the monsters have children and, you know, like a, a life before I came and killed them, which is, you know, not entirely how everybody plays it these days, but it is much, I, I think Critical Role maybe had a lot to do with this idea of popularising or um, making D&D appeal to people that want that side of the game where it is, you know, moral quandaries. And it's more about the role play and the conversation than it is about the game mechanics. um, So that the game itself has kind of evolved along those lines. And yet there is a uniqueness to games. I feel this way about video games as well in terms of an artistic medium because the game mechanics help tell the story and capture the feel that you're going for. We've talked, Mm. Sean, you mentioned uh, on previous episodes how horror is hard to do in D&D specifically, in 5E specifically, because the way that the mechanics of the game work set it up as a sort of power fantasy, which is very hard to capture a genuine horror vibe if the the party are empowered um, to to be able to defeat the horrific thing that confronts them. Um, I guess jumping back over to Dale, like what is your preferred like where do you sit from like pure mechanics across to like no mechanics just storytelling on that that spectrum and maybe it's not quite a clear cut spectrum as that but where do you sit along there in terms of your preference and and how do you feel about the mechanics of the game's ability to tell story
1: well i mean like like you were saying different mechanics tell the story different ways and you can tell the same story using a, do- a dozen different mechanics um and you know different different tabletop RPGs can, can emulate the same thing in different ways. You know, Pathfinder in D&D, if you look at them, let's go fourth edition and Pathfinder one, right? Just, just so we get specific, like very different mechanics, but they're both giving you a fantasy world. They just do it in different ways. It feels different. If you choose a granular, um, magic, spell casting system, it's gonna feel like magic is complicated and like you need to learn it. Whereas if you choose something that is very simple, it's like you have these three powers and you just do them, it makes it feel like it's innate, right? So so the mechanics play in, in a really strong way to the feel of the game. And this is, this is the thing that I harp on on my YouTube channel about all the time. I say things are vague and evocative, right? I want things to evoke certain feelings and how are we gonna make the mechanics match that? I suppose in terms of that spectrum, I think that a really good Magic the Gathering card is the perfect approach to mechanics in a tabletop RPG, if that makes any sense. So so a Magic the Gathering card, for people who aren't familiar, it gives you a name and a picture that sets up this general concept of like, the fantasy of it. It's like, not not fantasy in terms of the genre, but the, the thing that you want, right? What is this card doing? Someone's disappearing into a portal or something, I don't know. And then it gives you a mechanical description of what that card actually does in the game, within the game rules. What are are the actual specific game rules that you are following? And then it gives you a little bit of flavor text at the bottom that wraps it all up together. And it says, this is the story of this moment. And it teaches you in that moment, in that one card, it teaches you how the mechanics are working with the story to create this moment, how these mechanics are working, how, how those tools, those game tools, are replicating a narrative. And it just puts it all together in this perfect little package. And I think that tabletop RPGs at their best Do those things you know you start reading a a feature a class feature from fifth edition and it usually starts off with one sentence describing the story of it Mm. and then it tells you how it works what dice you roll you know it uses keywords that you're familiar with from the rest of the game but you get that one sentence telling you what the story of it is and that's that's i think where i sit i want it to be um mechanics that really serve the story i don't necessarily need the the mechanics to disappear but they, they need to serve the um, the genre, the narrative moment, the um, character progression that I am trying to evoke in my players.
0: For sure. James, do you have a similar sort of thought in terms of your approach to writing rules? Like, Is there a thought process that you have in terms of like, what do I want to say here? What do I want this monster to do? What do I want this room you know in a dungeon to 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 do in relation to its service of the story how do i make that happen through the mechanics of of this you know thing
2: yeah this is uh this is another thing where i might draw a comparison to collectible card games like magic or hearthstone Um, it's something i learned from playing them uh excuse me and and before I played collectible card games, I had this very, very sort of story first, story only mindset, where uh, I, I would call it kind of the purple prose of game design, where uh, you you tell, don't show what you want your rules to do, but there is a more elegant way to do it, and it is to write rules that create a narrative that support what you want to tell people. If you have, um, if you've got a giant monster in in a card game, for example, that uh, loves to eat, like, I don't know, like it's a gigantic Tyrannosaurus rex eats everything in its path. There are a lot of ways to to express that in your card game. Um, It could be, you know, upon playing deal, Five damage to target anything that and then you know you, you imagine oh well what it just did is it just scooped down and it ate the guy or it's like I don't know deal two damage to all enemy targets or it's like destroy all enemy targets with two attack or less or something like that but it's like you, you get inside and you start fiddling around and playing with it and it's like okay well actually I really want to sell the idea that this is an all-devouring creature because right, right just straight damage could be interpreted as a lot of things it could be uh charging like a bull and trampling everything in its path if it's devouring then then there's something how do you devour a creature what happens if you devour a creature it has to be smaller than you for one thing and so maybe that idea where it's like okay destroy all creatures with x attack or lower is really in there because it can only eat things that are smaller and weaker than it and then you get to thinking, okay, well, it's devoured it. It's kind of taken on their energy. It needs to eat to survive. So how about we say, and it, it gains one extra life for every creature. It's destroyed in this way when it plays, right? Now, all of a sudden, instead of just a thing that, oh, appears and does damage, here's our devouring monster. Now you've got something that actually tells a story with the mechanics that it's brought to the table.
0: hmm Yes, I think that, um, you know, f- for me, I'm the sort of person who doesn't... I don't like to describe damage as you take five points of damage. And I think you need to at some point, especially because, um, you know, that, that five points as opposed to eight points of damage can tell a different story in terms of, um, you know, exactly what the blow was like. Although in D&D there can be, I- I'm thinking of not, not to continue to harken on about it, but I'm thinking of that critical role moment where uh, Liam's character um, Vax snuck up behind Terry and just intended to like bock him on the back of the head. And I think like stun him or paralyze him or something. And he did something like 87 damage, like something ridiculous like that. And there was a bit of disparity in terms of how Liam had interpreted the moment and what the rules kind of said should have happened uh, with that. So there can be disparities there. But I think you're right, James, in terms of describing what the effect is first and then the kind of uh, mechanical effect afterwards or what the story is first and what the mechanical effect is afterwards. And when those two things come together to feel like they're describing the same thing, whether it's devouring, whether it's, you know, you take piercing damage because it stabs you or you take um, bludgeoning damage because it's a hammer that hits you. If they tell the same story, it's just blah. And there can be a little bit of dissonance if it doesn't quite tell the same story. Um, and, and dissonance is
2: that... the right word, right? Yeah. If you listen to YouTubers, they will you will hear the phrase, a somewhat pretentious phrase, but a useful one of Ludo narrative dissonance, where the game Ludo and the story narrative do not harmonize. Um, and so, you know, the goal of a game designer is to minimize the dissonance yeah. and to maximize. Uh, maybe I'll coin a term here: Ludo narrative harmony
1: (laughs) yeah and and to some degree every every game master their role is to navigate this um this dialogue between the rules and the story you Mm. know that's that's what you're doing for your players you're you're going okay well this is what you rolled but this is what happens
0: is this the sort of stuff, because Sean, you've touched on the fact that you teach a course around role playing games a couple of times. Is this the sort of things that you would be teaching students within that course? Is it more about mechanics or more about narrative or about this very thing they're talking about of marrying the two together?
3: It's exactly what we're discussing right now. Uh, you know, I, I start with games like Fate, uh, where there is a sort of a closer connection between the rules. And the narrative that comes out of it. Because in fate, you are what you do is who your character is. So your character has aspects. And as you are narrating the story of what your character does or what your character thinks or what the, the game master tells what's going on, you are always looking back at these aspects of your character. And you can spend your fate points to do things when your aspect is matches the situation. So I am the third best swords person in the land. Right? That's my aspect. So if I'm in a fight, then I can say well since I am the third best swords person in this land, I can use my fate point to take control of the narrative a little more and and probably succeed. But since I'm only the third best swords person in the land, that can also be used against me by the game master. So you're then using these a little more loose rules to pass the narrative baton, if you will, back and forth. And that's the currency of the game are these fate points that go from the player when they use it to the game master. Then the game master uses them against the characters. And so, you know, that's one aspect of showing how the mechanics have the output. I always uh, say that games are machines and mm-hmm. you take the, the rules are the, are, are the, the cogs and you are stuffing lots of things into this machine and you're cranking the crank and out comes the narrative. And so we just have to look at what is this machine? How is it built? What do we expect the inputs to be? What can we expect the outcome to be? And where is that dissonance mm. and where is that harmony? Mm. And, you know, so we start with the simplest games we can find and then we move on to more complex games to show, like with any machine, the more pieces that you add, the more chance there is that things are going to go haywire.
2: But I hope I have the chance to work with some of your students someday. I,
3: I want can, to take I this can only class. Imagine.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm
3: teaching it next spring. So, <laughs> Woo-hoo.
0: Yeah. just a quick trip across uh, oceans or, or a. Uh, or a country for you, James. Um, <laughs> along that uh, line that you were talking there or, or referring to there, Sean, in terms of like, you know, simpler games versus games that get more mechanically complex. Do you have a, and I'm speaking more as a fan of tabletop RPGs necessarily than a designer, do you have a preference in, in terms of like what you prefer? Do you prefer crunchier mechanic heavy games or do you prefer lighter kind of story driven games?
3: I want them all I, I I don't want to choose a favorite because I want them all I want to be able to play you know I want to be able to play the game where we sit around in, in a half an hour you know tell a complete story without too much fuss and then I also want the game where we can really dive in and and trick out the game the way we want to play it with all these moving parts and people being ingenious with those parts uh, sure. I, I love all of that
0: do you have a a preference in terms of the types of stories that you like to tell? Like, I mean, I guess, you know, to rephrase this, it's almost like asking like, what's your favorite genre of movie? Like, do you have a, you know, particular moments that stand out to you over the times that you've been playing tabletop RPGs that you're like, yeah, I, I I really enjoyed that moment. And not, I want to try to recreate it, but that's the, the, that's what really speaks to me about the game that, that encapsulates what I love about it. And so those are the sort of stories I want to try and tell.
3: I think in my younger years, it was the dramatic moments really resonated when you could hit them. Mm. Uh, Now I'm to the point where it's all about the, the humor. Uh, I I want to laugh more and I, I, I love the sort of playing against the expectation and the expectation is sort of this, this drama that, you know, these grand stories and I've had my Philip grand stories, I think, over the years. Uh, so I, I want to s- turn it on its ear and, and get some of the silliness and see some of the, the levity in, in life.
2: James, do you feel the same? Um, no, no, I'm not old enough yet to think that way. <laughs> 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 Um, I, I, if you were to ask me the same question you asked Sean I would say I, I, it's, it's like you're asking me to choose between my favorite tool a hammer or a screwdriver I'm like I need I yeah. them both man um, I, I, I think where I am right now though is D&D is at a zenith of popularity right now and I hope that zenith keeps getting like pushed through and reaching new heights all the time mm. um, because I think the more people I know who play the more people I will know who will have had their sort of gateway expectation filled and I can push games like uh, Alice is Missing onto them because I want to play those games and I have not run with a crowd of people who are yet so uh, exhausted of d they're like oh yeah I'll play some other game hell yeah I'll play another game you know it's like I'm, uh, most people are like no I know D&D and I've played it for a year and I invested all this time and effort into learning how to play that it's like no let's just keep playing d d and like I love DD, so I'll I'll never say no to that, uh given the right people. But uh I I, I really want to play more games that don't have quite the uh, all things for all people uh aspect of DD. Uh it's it's great for, for what it is, but it's it's not it's not the every game.
0: Well that's what you know, and maybe this is a question. Uh, partly for Sean, but just because you've seen the the greatest breadth of the role-playing industry from the early days of D&D to now, is I think that a lot of people have this perception, especially if you've only played 5th edition D&D, that D&D is what tabletop role-playing games are in the same way that, like, if you've only ever eaten chocolate ice cream you think that chocolate is the flavor of ice cream, you know, and everything. If you've only ever played
1: Monopoly, that's what board games are. Yeah,
0: exactly. Real baby vibes from this movie. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I consider 5th edition D&D isn't perfect in this way, especially as someone who has to tinker with it a little bit in terms of my homebrew rules. And often I'll use a lot of like the Grim Hollow um, rules that are in the, the campaign guide to make it feel more dark and scary because 5th edition doesn't naturally lend itself to that. But is 5th edition... Is its reputation for being super malleable uh, correct, or is it just because I haven't had other flavors of ice cream?
3: Well, I part of the I I don't have a direct answer to that because it can be, and part of the fun is making that change. Right, part of the fun is making the game your own. So you know, if if you say that D and D is the perfect horror game, I would say it's not. But you could make it the perfect horror game for you, and part of the fun is you get to do it. You get to Mm -hmm. make it your own. Um, So I also don't hold uh, a lot of weight with the people that saying, "Well, you have to play Dread," because no, you don't. Sure. Uh, And and but if you do, great, because it is a fun game and it is fun to play. and we only have a certain amount of time in the day to to do the things we want to do. So like Joey said, when you know when I was playing a D and D back in the day, my all my friends wanted to play D and D, and that was it. And I but oh, there's paranoia and there's Call of Cthulhu and there's uh, I can boot Hill and there's all these other games, but they just wanted to play D and d. Hmm. and while I, was upset about that because i want to explore these things i can also understand why they said that because that's what they enjoyed why take mm. the joy away from someone who's enjoying the thing that they're enjoying now if they said i hate D, but we're still going to keep playing D," then i would have had an argument to say well why <laughs> don't we try this so you know, sure. it's 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 personal preference and the joy of doing the thing that you love to do, even if it's not the same that thing that everyone else is doing.
0: Yeah, for sure. uh Dale, what what sort of stories do you tell when you're, or do you want to tell when you're running games?
1: I mean, I I wish that I could be more nuanced, but I'm I'm the young Sean right now. I am a sucker. I have always been a sucker for a little bit of drama, uh, and you know. To this day, one of my favorite genres of television is teen drama. It's ridiculous, but I love it. It is close to my heart, and uh, you know, even even other shows that I you know I love Buffy, but I love that it has humor and it has some very dramatic moments, and I I live for that drama. So I even though I do want my games to be sort of you know varied in tone, I, I love I love those dramatic moments. Someday, someday I will be current, Sean. <laughs>
0: I feel like I'm I'm getting to current Sean like I'm a huge Batman fan I have been since I was a little kid but I the and I love dark fantasy and I love dark themes and I I love um you know like the Dark Knight was one of my favorite movies if nobody can tell um but I just saw the the recent trailer for the Robert Pattinson movie and I'm like oh man it looks like it looks good it looks interesting I don't wanna I don't want to poo on it, but it's just like, it looks like a 16-year-old saw the Dark Knight and was like, I can do better. I can make it darker. I can make it grittier. So I feel like I'm starting to get there with, with so, that. See you I'm uh, so
1: excited for that one. I'm so excited for it. I'm ready for the Riddler to be scary. Give it to me. Put it in yeah. my veins.
0: <laughs> but I've played, like, the Arkham games. He's already, like, saw in those kind of, I mean, he's a little bit ridiculous, but but they they tried to set up, like, what if the Riddler was Jigsaw? Um, I feel like I've seen that already Um, but much like you Dale uh, you know I think that and and I think you've said before as well the trick to doing really good dark fantasy or really good dramatic storylines is to have that lightness in there as well is to have you know like the the typical horror movie kind of makeup is the first scene is dark and gloomy and the monster gets the first person and they die in a horrific way and there's probably a jump scare but the immediate next scene is usually daylight, you know, yeah. and it's like the next morning after. And so it it ensures that there's those peaks and valleys. But yeah, I think that... The light shade. Exactly, exactly. But I think that as, you know, all of us have said during this conversation, role-playing games are so much more than than light entertainment and, and have the ability to express so much more than just, um, you know... Oh oh, oh, no, everything is Mimics. You know, everything is is Mimics is great, but it's certainly not where I'm at in terms of uh, constructing dungeons and and the game. Um, Having discussed why we love it, uh, I thought we'd just quickly jump into a discussion about kind of how to get started. I mean, we we know our four origins now in some capacity. um, And it sounds like each of us kind of had someone to show us the ropes, is that... I mean, I don't want to say that's a necessity because I don't believe that it is, but, but is it, is it the, a good way to get started if you want to break into role-playing games?
2: Um, one of the talks that I attended uh, when I was doing really, you know, indie third-party 5e publishing stuff when I was first getting started was a talk that Chris Perkins gave at PAX back in, right before Storm King's Thunder launched, so whatever year that was. And he was giving a talk on his start to D&D, and he talked about how he submitted uh, so, so many things to Dragon Magazine, you know, lying about his age to get under the submission guidelines and stuff like that. And the thing that really struck me about what Chris said was something he said at the very end, which was, and now you forget all that because that path doesn't exist anymore mm. and in fact that path may have never existed for anyone except for me um, and that really resonated with me because that's true that's truer now than it's ever been before there is no path into tabletop RPGs uh, you, you know you can see it from us I and mean, we've all had different paths into whatever little niche of the industry we're living because, you know, this, this industry is still tiny even though D&D is exploding. And you can fit it in a teacup. Um, and what you have to do if you want to get into making RPGs is you've got to bring your machete to the jungle and carve your own path. Uh, and, and you know, you can listen to us. And you can listen to Chris Perkins. You can listen to all these people and they can give you good ideas, important ideas uh, that you can internalize. But, but these ideas need to be a a structure for you not the actual meat of what Mm. you want to do in in fact maybe i'll say this the the number one way to find your place in tabletop role-playing games or any creative medium is to create what you want to see in the world create what you like and you can never go into creative medium expecting Uh, or you can never go into a creative medium because you want attention or you want success because that is the number one surefire way to ensure that you will be miserable Uh, because if you don't get success, you'll be miserable. If you do get success, you'll always be chasing a bigger high. Um, You have to love what you love and do it for you. And if you find success and you can quit your day job, congratulations, you're very, very lucky. Um, And like, I don't know, you have to be okay with that. Uh, and and for some people, it, it takes them forever, right? Like Alan Rickman mm. got into acting uh, in big roles after you know when he was like forty or or older, maybe maybe he was fifty years old, and he'd been doing this for decades and decades and decades because he loved it so much. Mm. Um, so you just got to love it. You got to do it for you uh, because it's no one else will give you the validation that you can give
0: yourself. I think that's really important uh, something that sean touched on either this episode or a previous one as well though was the idea that when when you're not working you're generally not engaging with tabletop rpgs you're doing you know watching movies or mm-hmm. i mean i don't know what sean does but speaking for myself uh, you know <laughs> playing video games or playing board games or something like that because i started out like like into ter- i feel like there's such a you know, with the internet being a thing, with social media being a thing, there's such a a, a weight on or, or a perceived weight on, you know, Gen Y and Loa's shoulders in terms of like turning your hobby into a profession. Like you've got to love what you do every day and like it needs to become a profession for you and you, have you know, start a YouTube channel and suddenly you'll be famous one day. You just got to, you know, keep at it. And the one thing I'd just say, you know, I absolutely love being part of the industry in in whatever small way that I am, to be fair. But I started because I was running games of D&D for the love of it. Every single week, without fail, I'd run games for two players when, when not everybody could be there. I didn't care. But then I wanted to run games for more people and ended up starting a business out of that. And that's what coalesced me into the position that I'm in now. But because I was running so much D&D, it became uh, more of a job and less of a hobby. And, um, one aspect, one little aspect of the hobby that I started pulling in as well was painting miniatures. I've mentioned before that I love wargaming, um, and that I had wargaming that, you know, I started with wargaming first. And so I've always loved the miniature side of the hobby and having big dragons and painting up the monster that the players will fight and started offering to do commission painting uh, for people. And when I did that, I found that as soon as I got given a miniature to commission paint, I didn't want to do it because I was like, nah, it's too far. This is the one part of the hobby that I need for me, right? Like I, I cannot give this to the public. I cannot commodify this. I cannot turn this into another aspect of my job. And I don't, you know, I don't want this to sound like a foreboding warning or anything like that, but I just mean to say like, the more you turn something into your job, the more of a job it becomes, which is a really good thing in many ways, but you've just got to like, you know, there shouldn't be a pressure to turn your hobby into a job if you just enjoy doing it. Like there's nothing wrong with not streaming your game of D&D or, uh, you know, just playing with the same group of people year in, year out and never sharing your homebrew ideas online i think it's fantastic that the community does that and i think it's fantastic that there's lots of resources and people like dale out there who loves uh sharing their homebrew ideas because it gives us more to draw on but at the same time yeah i guess i'm just saying like don't feel a pressure to if you just want that hobby just for yourself you know it's something that you can have just for yourself sorry i feel like i went on a tirade there dale what's your favorite (laughs) type of candy just uh just to break it up a little bit no i'm just kidding I was like, what's your favorite type of candy? Just to break it up a little bit.
1: <laughs> Let's talk about musk sticks. Um yeah, no. I think I think as well for people who are looking for how to get started to play the game. Like you've mm. consumed all this stuff online. How do you actually find a group and get going? We are living in a golden age. You know, I'm not I'm not minimizing that it can be difficult to put yourself out there, but the hardest barriers to starting to play Dungeons and Dragons or tabletop RPGs is knowing the rules. And that is easier than ever in the in this post sort of Zach Eubank actual play world that we live in
2: yes yes put some put some honor on zach eubank's name yes
1: yeah (laughs) Um, (laughs) for people who don't know zach eubank basically designed the uh the rig that allows um the the recording of live table sessions of tabletop rpgs um he was very clever and he put it all together and he made it work uh so that's why we suddenly have such a boom in uh in actual plays online and there are actual plays for most games, and you can just look them up and see it played. And when you watch something played, you absorb those rules much more easily than if you're just reading a rule book. So that's mm. that's your first thing. Done. Second thing, where do I find people to play with? If you don't have any friends that want to play with you, you can go online, you can find a group online, and you can play there. If you do have friends that you would like to play with, here's my biggest tip. Guilt them into it for your birthday. This is what I did to get my friends to play D&D with me. For your birthday, say, all I want to do is run this tabletop RPG for you. This is all I want to do for my birthday. And they'll all go, okay. And after that, they'll have had fun. And you can link them in. You can go, let's do this again sometime. And they'll say, yes. Guilt. The power of birthday guilt.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And if you're stuck uh, in a place that's quarantined, Many, many conventions that used to only have games in person are now running games online, including Wizards of the Coast, which runs monthly game days uh, where you can just sign up and you can play. And if you are new, you can say, hey, I'm new. And they have DMs specifically designed to run for new players Mm. and teach you the game. I have never seen as many schools running clubs of games now. Uh, people that I've worked with in the past are calling me up and saying, hey, you, you do stuff with D&D, right? And I say, yes. And they said, well, my son or my daughter, they want to learn how to play. What do I do? And so then I point them in seven different directions and say, these are the many channels that you or your child has to get into games. Uh, never been a better time. Uh, just always temper your expectations because mm-hmm. everything is going to be different. And if you have one bad uh, session that does not mean every session is bad. It just means it may not have been, you know, the best venue for you. It might not have been the right group for you, but there's always another group out there uh, that are just waiting to, to talk and to play.
1: Mm, and you know what? James's advice for getting into making these kinds of products, it applies to players as well. You know, if, if you can't find the group that you want to be in, make that group. Make the thing you want to see in the world. It, you're never too old to get started playing D- One of my favorite stories, I was on a panel uh, at Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con for, for sort of beginners with D&D. And afterwards, we went down and we um, played a couple sessions with people who watched the panel. It was, you know, you're free to come and play and we'll teach you how to play. And I sat down at this table to, to be a player. And this this woman sat down next to me. She was probably about 65 to 70 years old. And she sat down next to me and she said, do you think that I can start learning D&D now? Do you think I'm too old to really learn D&D now? And I said to her, Dame Judy Dench runs D&D for her grandkids. You are never too old to start playing D&D. And that woman... I explained maybe one, I think I explained how proficiency bonuses work to her. That was the one point of confusion. And then she got it and she was playing a drow rogue and immediately she was in it. She like scouted ahead, saw the danger and decided not to tell the rest of the party. She immediately (laughs) understood. She's the best player I have ever seen. It was wonderful.
0: (laughs) Oh my God. That's incredible.
1: She's my hero. (laughs)
0: Well, with that heartwarming story, I think that's where we'll need to wrap it up this week. If you want to keep the conversation going, tell us why you love playing tabletop role-playing games, why you love playing D&D, what are the sort of stories you like to see and play, a funny moment that happened at one of your tables. You can keep the conversation going. Our Twitter handles are just below our names if you want to reach out to us there. Or if you're listening to this not on YouTube, you can reach out podcast at ghostfiregaming.com. Send us an email, we'll read some. Some of them out uh on the podcast and dissect them and discuss uh the different things that that people email through to us um don't forget to subscribe whether you're on youtube or apple podcasts or spotify leave us a review and just go out and like pin a notice board calling for adventurers to listen to the Eldritch lore cast because this is the number one D&D podcast in the world with a host of panelists like this. I've been Ben Byrne here with Dale Kingsmill, James Hake, Sean Merwin. See you guys next week.